You are about to listen to the Friends of Anchor podcast, which keeps you up to date with the inspirational work of the Friends of Anchor charity and everything that it's doing to support cancer and haematology care in the northeast of Scotland. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Friends of Anchor podcast. In this episode, we will be hearing from brothers Graham and Stuart Strachan, as well as facing up to the fact that finding the right words can be tricky when the meltdown moments come. I will also be launching my campaign for on-demand ice cream to become a recognised medical treatment. We start, as ever, by hearing from Erica Banks about what the month ahead holds for the charity. Special note for our listeners, this update even contains a smattering of audience participation. So, Erica, what is June going to hold for us? Well, hopefully the sunniest month of the year, if this week is anything to go by. And the Red Run is probably the next thing on our list. Well, in fact, that's a lie. There's Kilt Walk on Sunday. How can you forget that? And are you doing it? I'm doing it and I've trained. You've trained. That is amazing. 13 miles, I know. I'm I'm so proud of you. I'm really proud of me too. Thanks, Mike. Excellent. (laughs) Excellent. So what's your your target? Have you got a particular time in mind or does it not really work like that? I really don't know how long it's going to take because I've never walked for that long before. And I think in terms of, I don't know how often I'm going to want to stop and eat or drink or tie my shoelaces or change my shoes or tell you to bring spare shoes with you and all sorts. But we've got... Two, so many things to so, take into So many account. things to take in. But 230 people doing it for Fantastic. Friends of Anchor. So I'm hoping I spend lots of time just talking to other people on the railway line as well. That is terrific. Absolutely amazing to see the number of people who've got involved. I've found myself wondering if, because it's 18 miles, if that's made it possibly a slightly more accessible distance. That's one of the main reasons that I signed up. Sure. When it's been 26 miles previously, I'm like, whoa, I don't think so. 18 miles is achievable for me. Fantastic. Yeah. And that's from Bankery in Aberdeen, is that right? Duthie Park. To Bankery ah, this time. The they, they, they change it around. I think okay. they just like to trip us up. Because <laughs> I've definitely got that wrong before this year. Brilliant. Well, good luck with that. Thank and you. I'm just so impressed that you've done your training. And then I think the following weekend, this is for Red Run. Tell us it about is Red, Red Run. Run. Red Run is a gorgeous running event. It's really unusual to use the word gorgeous and running event in the same sentence. But it's out in Fetternir in absolutely stunning scenery. It's always a corker of a day and there's the 5k race and a 10k race amazing food vendors at the end everybody in the local community and volunteers have made home bakes you could not go to a 10k race with a nicer atmosphere and I have run it previously and it's a really enjoyable run undulating forest trails lots of greenery but I'm going to be emceeing this year I've drawn the short straw of having the microphone to cheer the runners over the finish line brilliant so no I'm sure you'll fun. do a great job and it's totally dedicated to Friends of Anchor that run yeah, I think yeah we are the chosen charity for that event and have been for several years and it's a really impressive sum you know tens of thousands has been raised through that event so really look forward to seeing what what happens this year and what the feedback is fantastic and what else well, at the moment, we're ruminating and reflecting and celebrating everything that was Courage and Brave. So of course. It was a total bumper year. You were there on Friday I was there on, on for Brave on the Friday. Yeah. That's right. And uh, behaving very well and very quietly in the room. We've got two of our Brave models. Um, <laughs> they're, they're lugging in before they're being interviewed themselves. <laughs> and it was really poignant. It was uplifting. It was inspiring. They were... Oh, it was amazing. Tears and laughter and all sorts. It really was wonderful. And it was quite a poignant one for us too, because we've bid farewell to the Beach Ballroom now, yes. where that event was born and has done all its growing up since the director, Sarah Jane, came up, dreamed up this idea of Courage on the Catwalk 10 years ago. So... That was the 10-year curtain call. Mm. And, next and big year. plans for next year. What's happening next year? P&J Live. 
Teka, <laughs> indeed, the big yeah. exhibition centre in Aberdeen. Yeah, so um, the really lovely thing about taking it to the bigger venue is that we've been able to increase the capacity. Amazingly, there's been so much demand for Courage on the Catwalk Tables as well and for Brave. So go to the Friends of Manca website for details and for dates. Get the dates in your diary, whether you want to volunteer, whether you want to come as a guest, whether you're thinking about nominating someone to take part. It's wild to think that it's a full year away, but preparation has already really begun. So Fantastic. Exciting. And you've got other things to tell us about, I think? One of the nice things that's coming up this month that we do, I've spoken about on the podcast a couple of times before, but our patient wellbeing retreat days. Mm -hmm. So the next one is on Saturday this week. And what that is, is is basically a really nice session, a day-long session for anchor patients and their loved ones to come along and meet the wellbeing team, find out about the services and therapies that are freely available to them, taste out, that's probably not the right word, try out taster sessions of our of our services so mini manicures mini massages mm. reflexology just to get a feel for the types of things that are available for them this session on sunday is really well subscribed but the next one is in november november 11th so if it's the sort of thing that any listeners would like more information on then they just need to email wellbeing at friendsofanchor.org for information great it's really good that that is available Anything else you'd like to tell us about? I think that's a wrap. Okay. We're a one-take wonder. Indeed, indeed. (laughs) And do we get a round of applause from our audience? (laughs) There we are. Thank you very much indeed, Erica. Well, good luck, boys. Catwalk first, podcast next. And that is indeed the scenario right now. I was delighted to have Graham and Stuart Strachan as my guests for this month's interview, fresh from their appearance at Brave 2023. Erica has just told us that the event was poignant, uplifting and inspiring. And I would use those same words to describe the conversation that I had with Graham and Stuart. I started by asking them to tell us a bit about themselves. My name is Stuart Strachan. I was 50 last year, I'll be 51 in September. I was born and bred and brought up in Glencindy on a family farm, along with my two brothers, oldest brother James and my middle brother Graham, who you'll hear from later. I've been married to my wife, Lynn, for 17 years. It's actually our wedding anniversary on Saturday. Congratulations. Thank you. I went to Harvard Academy for my education and I left there in June 1989. And I started as an apprentice agricultural engineer with HRM Tractors at Inch. And I received my long service medal this year, so I've been there for 33 years. Congratulations again. But I've moved on from being an engineer. I'm now in the parts department. I'm now the parts manager at the depot at Inch. So I haven't moved far in my home life or my work life, but I'm happy, so that's the main thing. Absolutely. And tell us where we can find the metropolis of Glenkindy. Glenkindy is situated about 14 miles west of Arford, and it's halfway between Arford and the Lech Ski Centre. And that's inland from Aberdeen. It is inland from Aberdeen, yes. And if you've heard of the Lonach Highland Games, that's for local Highland Games. Wonderful. Thank you very much indeed. And Graham? Hi, I'm Graham Strachan. I turned 52 in March of this year. I'm Stuart's immediate older brother. And as you mentioned, we have an older brother, James, as well. I was born and bred in Glenkindy as well. Did my schooling at uh, the local school at Towie Primary School. And then uh, graduated to Afford Academy through to uh, Secondary 5. Some of my friends and family say I, I haven't had the consistency that Stuart's had in his work life. I went to college, but I've moved about. But uh, for the last over 20 years, I have been associated with the same company in the oil industry. So currently working for Acker Solutions as a project manager. Kept busy doing that. 
I've been married to my wife Aileen for 24 and a half years. We celebrate our silver wedding in December of this year. Lovely. Yeah, and I've got a smashing wee son. He's not so wee anymore. <laughs> He's 13 at the moment. Jack turns 14 in September of this year. So between Aileen and uh, Jack, they keep me on my toes and keep me right. I bet they do. Perhaps, Stuart, you can start by telling us how everything changed for you on the health front just last year. Things started to change, maybe sort of, it was the end of 2021, October 2021. I was in the shower one day and I felt one of my testicles was slightly enlarged. It did register with me, but I never did anything really about it. Then into the November, my general health really started to deteriorate. Problems with a sore back, especially through the night. I was going up through the night to go for a walk around the fields. I couldn't get slept. My general health deteriorated. Then on Christmas Day 2021, I wasn't feeling great. I wasn't really able to eat my Christmas meal, which is not like me. I can imagine. (laughs) Then things got worse from there. So I went to see my local doctor on Hogmanay and he investigated things down below. He had a feel about my tummy and I was referred for a scan into Forrester Hill, which happened very quickly, which I was very grateful for. So then I was put in on the Sunday, the 15th of January. Then I was diagnosed with testicular cancer then, but their concern was more so to do with a growth that was below my kidney. So I had to go back in the following Monday for further tests, and that revealed that a tumour below my right-hand kidney. So that probably was the hardest thing to cope with. I wouldn't say that I knew that I had testicular cancer, but I knew there was something wrong down below. And my advice to anyone, if you have any doubts at all, go sooner rather than later. The time scale really didn't affect me that much, I don't think. But the sooner you go, the sooner they can get going to make a diagnosis and get things improved and treated. Sure. So then after that, things moved very quickly. I was taken into Forest Hill on the beginning of February, I think it was about 7th of February, and I got a drain put into my right-hand kidney, which made a big difference. It relieved me from the back pain because the pipe coming from my kidney down was getting gripped with the tumour, so that was causing problems. Then a couple of weeks after that, was around about the 20th of February, I was brought in and they removed my testicle, which was not really a major problem. It was in in the morning, out to the hospital in mid-afternoon. Then I started a course of chemotherapy on the 3rd of March. It was a nine-week cycle with three three-week blocks, and that lasted for nine weeks up until the end of April. Everything, the drain going in, the testicle being removed, no real side effects at all. Didn't really suffer at all. But Dr. McDonald, who was my specialist in charge of me, he said to me from the start that once the chemo would start, you'd be floored and be prepared to write off the six next months of your life. When he told me that, I thought, nah, I'll be okay. I'll manage to go to my work a couple of days, I'll maybe. But no, he was right. It did floor me. It did really knock me for six. Mm-hmm. But it was all worth it in the end. And probably the hardest thing was how it affected family and friends. Sure. Because I, I knew I wasn't feeling great and I knew it was a job to know how they felt and how they were coping with what I was going through. Yeah. And I think that maybe made it harder for other people. In fact, that the chemotherapy, you didn't know really what was in front of you. So yeah. I remember going in for the second three-week segment of treatment. I said to the, the guy, I says, Ken, I won't be so bad this time. He says, no, you'll be worse. <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> he was quite honest. He was yeah. quite upfront. Every time you went in for more chemotherapy, when you come home, you were just floored. It was just... A long haul. It was a long haul, but worth it in the end. And when I was going through my treatment, my father-in-law, Bell, he was put into hospital in the middle of February. He had uh, COPD. 
a breathing, a lung problem, infection of the lungs, and they returned for the worst, so he was not just in a great place either. So my wife, Lynn, she was torn between two hospital wards. He was down below me. She was staying some nights all night with her dad, and then she came up and seen me in the morning, and that was tough going. Very tough. Graham, who you'll hear from later, he was probably one of the biggest rocks. He took me into my treatment. And the support of family and friends is an important thing to get you through that. Sure. I remember when I was diagnosed, I said to my wife, I said, look, I don't want this to change your life. It's a journey that we're going to go through together, but I don't want you to land missing things in her life, but then the way things happened with her dad, that sort of changed things. But there's so much people out there willing to help you and be there to give you support. Graham took in me 99% of the times into my treatment. He took me into the hospital, he cut my grass, and there was always mother, brother, James. They all did so much to help. And so did other friends and work colleagues were all there to help you through the journey. And it just makes such a difference when, when that happens. It does. To know that there's someone there just to lift the phone and speak to, it did make it easier. My last cycle of treatment started, I think it would have been the 10th of April, or thereby. And sadly, my father-in-law, Bill, passed away on the 9th of April. That's really hard. To cope. It was. It was. And the fact that he knew what I was going through, and he probably was one of the people who was there for me. Sure. And the sad thing was he was not there once it finished. But I've got fond memories and Absolutely. happy memories. So. Then my treatment finished on the 28th of April, which sadly was the day that my mum died. My two brothers came to tell me in the morning. And it was probably the person I wanted to see most. Of course. And she wasn't there. It was hard. But my mum was a strong person and I remember saying to my two brothers, I was thought about not going for my last day of treatment. They said, no, mum would have wanted you to go. Yeah. And I did. And I'm pleased I did. Because that's what she would have wanted. Yeah. And she would have been pleased. I'd finished the cycle of treatment and then everything worked out in the end. It's just when you look back at that date, the 28th yes. April, you think, oh, it's just... Because it was a hard day. You didn't know if he was happy because of saying your treatment. But knowing that mum had passed away. So I remember the feeling when I walked out of the hospital. It, it felt like a weight had been lifted off your shoulders. But then when I went to see my wife, she was waiting for me when I went out. You just was taken back by the fact that the person, my mum, who I would have probably wanted to go and see first, she wasn't there. Those things all coming together will have been very, very difficult. Mm. A really tough time for you and for the family. So Graham, as if enough hadn't been happening with the family up to this point, I think you then come in with, with your story. Yeah, so during March of 2022, just when Stuart was in the early part of his treatment, and I must say that the way Stuart handled himself, because the, the course of chemotherapy that Stuart was, it wasn't a light touch. I think because he's a big, strong loon, they were able to actually do it in a shorter term, but he coped with it admirably. And I think it goes back to what Stuart was saying. We've got an older brother, James, or Stuart and myself, but we argued like any brothers, and we still do. But when it comes to the crunch, we're there for each other. What we went through last year demonstrates what you can do if you're there to support. And we don't make any fuss about it. What we do is very quietly done, but we're there for each other 120%. Our dad, who passed away in 2017, he had prostate cancer earlier. So as brothers, we were encouraged to get a regular test for sure. prostate cancer. But Stuart being diagnosed, although it wasn't prostate, my wife, thank you, Aileen, encouraged me 
to go and get a PSA test with my local doctor, Dr. Lee, to the Kemney Medical Practice. It showed borderline high in March of 2022. So she says, nothing immediate to worry about. Come back in six weeks. So I went back in six weeks and got another blood test. And it was still borderline, you know, for being high. So with the family history, decided that I'd go for an MRI. So I went into Woodend and got an MRI in July of 2022. So again, uh, the results came back for that and it showed that there was some shadows and they needed to do some further tests. So in September, I went in and uh, got a biopsy and the biopsy results came back on the 20th of September. And that's when it was confirmed that I had uh, prostate cancer. It was medium grade. They were confident that it was contained. Okay. And it hadn't spread, but they couldn't say that for sure, obviously. Then on the 5th of October, I had a meeting with the consultant, uh, Miss Royal, in the urology department. Fantastic group of people in the urology department, through from doing the biopsies, the nurses, Miss Royal, the consultants. They're just a lovely bunch of people and couldn't do enough for you. So we discussed the options of radiotherapy, some uh, tablets. Because I'm relatively young and relatively healthy, we decided that I'd go for removal of the prostate. So that decision was made between Ailey and myself and Miss Royal basically on that day. You didn't really hang about. They were very accommodating on the timescale. And then I had my prostate removed on the 4th of November 2022. So it all happened quite quickly. Yeah. And, and the care and attention got from the Kemney Medical Practice to the team in the urology department was first class. So I was keen to get back to work. I don't like sitting about doing nothing, but similar to what Stuart says, you think everything's yeah. going to be okay. But mine's was more a recovery from the surgery. It was robotic surgery, so it wasn't intrusive. So I was fortunate there, mm. but it did take it out of me. But within two or three days, I was out walking the fields um, in Money Musk, enjoying the countryside and trying right. to maintain my fitness. And then on the 22nd of April, I went in to see Miss Royal and uh, got the all clear. Great. So it hadn't spread, it was contained. And I'm now on uh, checkups every three months just for blood tests and, uh, you know, just make sure that everything's in order. So that'll carry on for the next couple of years. But that is so good. Delighted to hear that. Yeah. So again, I would just encourage MD, if they've got any doubts at all, is go and get tested early. Because if Alien hadn't said, Graham, when was the last time you got tested? If it had been another year, it, it mightn't be. The good news story is that Stuart and me are sitting here telling you that. And that's because it's better to be told everything's fine, but go and get checked early. And particularly as men, we're not always good at doing that. No, absolutely. We'll shy away from it where possible. Everything's fine. And my dad was an example of that. You know, everything's fine, but it's not always fine. No. And it's harder to admit that things aren't right. But there's no embarrassment if you're proven wrong. And I would just say thank you to all our family and friends. I've mentioned Aileen and Jack, my sister-in-law Lynn, my older brother James and his wife Nancy, and my niece and nephew James and Jennifer, and my work colleagues as well. Everybody couldn't have been more understanding, and it's certainly helped. The only thing that I maybe would like to add would be that I went for a scan at the end of July, I think it was, and they were pleased, so it's all looking good. And I'm currently on a blood test and CT scan every three months, so I'll scan next month, so fingers crossed, everything's still looking good. And tell me, both of you, about Brave. How did that come about, your involvement in that, and what was it like as an experience for you? Um, Graham, maybe let's start with you. It's something that uh, my wife and myself discussed when we saw it being publicised in January of 2023. And... Uh, Stuart and me had mentioned that oh you've seen this modelling thing that's coming up and things doing this podcast and doing Brave is probably two of the things that if you'd seen us two years ago you'd have never they'll never do that so <laughs> here we are number two is the podcast so 
the more so, so you're telling me you've you've not had a lifelong desire to strut your stuff on the catwalk. Maybe maybe secretly, but not not <laughs> not, not in public. But no, def, definitely not. But and we thought. Well, I certainly thought it would be a really positive thing to do, just to give something back and to show the good side story to it. But as it developed, Brave it became a far bigger thing and it really gets a hold of you. And I think the 22 other people, gents, boys, as we call it, were boys, aging from Ramsey, who's 17 at the time when we started the process, he turned 18 during the Brave event. Yeah. And George, who was the eldest, and he, I'm not going to say his age, but he, he was the eldest in the group. The camaraderie within that group, mm. you could walk into that room and you didn't feel bad or guilty or think you were feeling sorry for yourself. And it's continued. And the event itself, the Friends of Anchor team, Erica, who you spoke to yeah. earlier, and Roxy, Naomi, I can't name check them all, but they're an absolute credit. They're in level of enthusiasm through the rehearsals and stuff. And they get a hold of you yeah. in a positive way. You feel like you want to help them. But what they're actually doing is helping people who are going to be touched by cancer in the northeast of Scotland. And unfortunately, there will be somebody that you know, Mike Stewart, who will get the support from Friends of Anchor in the next 20 years, 10 years, 5 yeah. years. And, and that's the unfortunate reality around it. So the Brave experience was fantastic. A special group. And we, we're still in a WhatsApp group. And we've got a golf day, which Kevin, one of the boys, has organised on the 23rd of June. So non-golfers and golfers. And it's just a, a good reason for us to get together and catch up and see how everybody's doing. And then there's a couple of events coming up through Friends of Anchor. Naturally, I think a core of people will keep in touch, but it's, it's sure. nice to just have that going forward. And how about you, Stuart? Has it been a lifelong desire of yours to no. be on the catwalk? No, definitely not, no. But I would like to say that that last date when I was there from a treatment, the girl that was giving my last dose of the chemotherapy treatment was just out of this world. She said, we'll see you in the catwalk next year. And I thought, no chance. It was always in the back of my mind what she said. So it was her who planted the seed. And I phoned Graham to say, look, I fancy doing it. He was up for it. And no regrets. One of the best things we've ever done. And in terms of getting you doing your moves, was that a challenge? Oh, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't come natural, no. 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 The only benefit I had, I was behind Graham in the cartwheel. <laughs> <laughs> so I could see what he was doing. The whole thing, from start to finish, was just unforgettable. Brilliant. And so well organised, as Graham said. The time, the effort that Friends of Anchor put in, and the support from the sponsors and everybody involved is out of this world. It's just exceptional, isn't mm. it? It is. It's it just amazing. And the amount of money raised again, mm. and what that will go towards is very yeah. special as well. The amount of money, but as Jim Mill from the Balmoral Group said, the night of thing, it's the amount of time that people put in as well. The amount of time that makes Brave and Courage happen, yeah. which people don't maybe appreciate really. They think it's 24 guys, 24 girls, but it's not. It's far more than that, and it's a bigger family than that. Graham says, well, we've made friendships with the 24 guys, we've made friendships with Friends of Anchor. Everybody you met during the whole journey, you class him as a friend now. And friends and family came along and enjoyed it? Friends, mostly on the Thursday night. Mm-hmm. There were three tables between the two of us on the Thursday, then family was on the Friday night. Yeah, so I think between the two nights there were 60 people at tables supporting us. And again, the people who supported us by attending, but also donating as well. You know, we've been blown away actually by the level of support contributed, but it's such a good cause. The people who are there, they thoroughly enjoyed it. Great. And if someone asked you about Friends of Anchor, what would you tell them? Friends of Anchor, my first encounter with them was probably in the hospital when I went in to start my chemotherapy treatment. You met at the top of the stairs with this red t-shirt with Friends of Anchor and a smiling face. 
always a smile. Always a smile. Some days you was going in, you didn't know what to expect, but you always went to the top of the stairs, here was a red t-shirt with a smiling face, and that just put you at ease for a start. They could never do enough to help you. It didn't matter what you asked. Sometimes you felt bad asking for something. There was never nothing was a problem. They were always there for you and made the whole journey that much easier, knowing that they were there to help you. So I remember one night I got my chemotherapy finished, I think it was about one o'clock in the morning, and uh, the, the girl, the friend uncle girl came through with an ice cream. It was like a bar of gold. Absolutely. I'm all for the ice cream. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And you thought, oh, how did she know I was needing that? And she just knew. Yeah, I think it's part of the cure, but you're here in part of the podcast. My wife was not so convinced, but <laughs> certainly <laughs> ice cream makes all the difference, mm. always. The ice cream and the smile on face when <laughs> she came to give you the ice cream. You just thought, ah. Yeah, we'll get through this. Well, that was my motto. We had a motto for Dave, and uh, that's what I always said. That maybe came from the support from Fens of Anka. Tomorrow will be a better day. Yeah. And it was always true. Once you'd seen the smile from the Friends of Anka, you thought, oh, well, tomorrow will be better. Yeah. And they just made you feel that much easier. And they seemed to understand where you were coming from. And they just made the journey so much better. And what about you, Graham? What would you say about Friends of Anka? I think it must be part of their training or something, the smile, because every single one of them, whenever you meet them, they're always smiling. And that, that relaxes you just straight away. And that, that was during the Brave event as well. And I think the more you find out about it, the harder it hits home about the work that goes on and the important work that they actually do. Because until you actually need them, it's totally unseen. So somebody going around Aberdeen, they don't see behind the scenes and the effort and the fundraising and just the simple things that Stuart touched on that they actually provide day to day. It's totally unseen. And it blows you away, actually. What they actually provide is a support service in the northeast. And tell me about your mottos. This was a social media way of spreading the word about, yeah, about yes. Brave. Yes, each of the Courage models and the, the Brave Boys, it was alternate days. It was just a way of promoting it. And what was on your board? My message was, stay strong, Loon, and you will beat this, no worries. So I think that was a message from one of my friends, actually, just when Great. we find out. So, yeah. And just in case we have any non-Northeasterners listening in, that Loon? Loon is a Doric for boy, yeah. I don't know if I class myself as a boy, but oh, I'll, I'll take yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> take that. Abs- yeah, I'll absolutely. Take yeah. I think you still qualify. And in terms of any advice for people just diagnosed or, or friends and family affected by that, one thing? Don't be frightened to reach out for help. Whether friends of Anka, family, there is people there to help you. Whether you're a relative of someone who's been diagnosed, someone who has been, or somebody who thinks they might have an issue, get in touch with someone. There is help out there. Don't be frightened to ask for it. I would just say to encourage people, any, any symptoms at all or any concerns or particularly family history for males, listen to what the doctor said. Don't be thrown. Use a good northeast word. Exactly. Go and see your doctor. Because, as I said, Stuart and myself are both sitting here on a nice Sunday night in Aberdeen and we're a good news story out of it. In this month's Finding the Words feature... My wife, Alison, finally gets to lift the lid on my reluctance, she would use a stronger word, to acknowledge that a serious illness needs to be taken seriously. So, Alison, this is the instalment of our Finding the Words feature that you've been waiting for, I think. Well, yes and no. Why yes? Because, as you know, I have been keen for this slot to be a real and honest account of our attempts to find the words to navigate a way through your cancer diagnosis and treatment – And I've worried at times that our conversations 
might have come across in a way that made people feel that we took everything in our stride without many bumps along the way. And why no? Because not only were you unwell during the events that we're going to describe, but also we weren't on the same page regarding how to deal with the situation. And I really hate it when that happens. I suppose that I should set the scene at this point. It's Tuesday, 5th of December 2017. I've not long finished my first chemotherapy cycle and, on discharge, I've been introduced to a new term from a cancer treatment glossary. I was now neutropenic. That meant that my white blood cells were running low and that my immune system was no longer as immune as it had been. Which meant that when you pretty rapidly became quite unwell that day, I was concerned and even more so when you recorded a temperature of 38.4 and started shivering a lot because you were then ticking a couple of boxes on the checklist for when to phone the cancer treatment helpline. But when I said that we needed to do that, you were not keen. Well, I didn't want to cause any fuss, and I really wasn't keen to go back into hospital after it had been such a relief to get home just a few days previously, having had to stay on the ward longer than expected. But you had read the bit in the helpline card that you'd been given that stated that neutropenic patients with a fever require urgent inpatient treatment, with urgent being in red letters and capitals. Yes, I had. I just didn't think that I was all that unwell and was hopeful that my temperature would come down soon. Well, from my ringside seat, you were not looking good and every single bit of my medical training was telling me that we needed to get you to hospital as quickly as possible. I understand that now and appreciate that it wasn't ideal that I was reluctant to phone the helpline. Reluctant? I might have been able to cope with reluctant, but you were way beyond reluctant. Okay, I admit that I was fairly resistant to the idea. Point blank stubborn is the phrase that you're looking for, I think. And also, I couldn't believe that you seemed to think that a bowl of ice cream would make things better. It wasn't my best ever solution to a crisis, but it was based on many years of positive ice cream experiences. I still can't believe that you reacted in that way, and it was so hard to get through to you. I just think that I became fixated about not going back into hospital. But your line that I could choose between phoning the helpline or being blue-lighted into hospital and the strength of feeling with which you said it did the trick and finally got through to me. And were my concerns justified or not? Well, I have to admit that the hospital didn't prescribe ice cream as part of my care package and that instead they admitted me to a ward, treated me according to the neutropenic sepsis protocol and sent me home four days later in much better shape. Which was a great relief all round. So there you have it, listeners. The truth is now out there. We didn't always have calm, rational and reasonable discussions when we were in the eye of the cancer storm. And in fact, we had one totally crazy conversation prominently featuring ice cream. And that just about tipped me over the edge. And one final point is worth making, I think. When the meltdown moments happen, as they almost inevitably will, the patient will quite often focus just on a specific aspect of their own situation, as I did while the other person sees the whole picture and has to deal with a sandstorm of swirling emotions and unwelcome questions. Would you agree? 100%. I thought that you might. We're going to end on that remarkable moment of agreement, and also by inviting you to get in touch if you would like to comment on or contribute to our Finding for Words conversation. We would really love that to happen. Until next time, goodbye. As you can imagine. I was hugely encouraged by the high value that Stuart Strachan placed on the contribution made by Ice Cream to his post-chemotherapy recovery. 
I would therefore like to use this month's and finally slot to launch a campaign for serious research to be undertaken into the physiological and psychological benefits of the therapeutic use of ice cream and to volunteer to be the first human guinea pig to be involved in clinical trials in this area. Thank you very much indeed for listening to this episode. Please get in touch with your thoughts, feedback, questions and suggestions via email at foapodcast at freerangepodcasting.co.uk and please do join us again next time. In the meantime, take good care of yourself and may tomorrow truly be a better day for each of you. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you and your podcast where you want to go. 